Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is the Lois J. Wessel Show, and I am your host and executive producer, Lois Wessel, coming to you live this morning from Houston, Texas at 9 a.m. Central Time. I want to remind you to register for Blog Talk Radio. It's free, and if you do that, you can rate my show, mark it as a favorite, or get reminders of upcoming shows. This show's call-in number is 347-945-5309. You can telephone or you can call us using Skype or you can listen on your computer. I want to remind you that I offer a free email newsletter about metaphysics, spirituality, the coming changes, and the kinds of things that we talk about here on this show. I've been sending this out for free for about 12 years. To sign up for that, you would go to Hot Pink Lotus. Dot com, and I do not share email addresses with anybody. Today I'm going to be speaking with Barbara Wyss, who is an international peace activist, an award-winning author, psychic, workshop facilitator, performer, inspirational speaker. And without any further ado, I'm going to open the line and start talking to Barbara. Hi, Barbara. Good morning, Lois. How are you? I'm good. How are you this gorgeous morning? Excellent. It's a little thunderstorm here in San Antonio. I just love Texas rain. (laughs) Isn't it awesome, though? If you don't like the weather, just wait a minute. Yeah, exactly. That's what we say in Texas, anyway. Uh (laughs) So I'm so excited to be talking with you today, and I hardly know where to begin because you have such an incredible array of things that you've written and things that you do. But um, I guess the first thing I want to ask you about is this book that's just been published this month in October, um, called Guerrilla Marketing. I'm sorry, Guerrilla Publishing. Do you want to tell yes. us a little bit about that? Well, this book uh, is my fifth book, and it really sprang from my experience as a self-published publisher and author. My first book came out in 1997, and at that time, um, self-publishing was still a little bit on the fringe. But um, James Redfield had just driven around the country and sold 100,000 books basically out of the back of his car. (laughs) Then he got signed with Warner Brothers, I think. And so he wrote The Celestine Prophecies, right? Yes. Okay. And so at that time, I I made the determination that I would uh, self-publish with my co-authors of that book but then once we got the book in our hands, perhaps if we did what James Redfield did, we could then get signed with a major publisher. And as I moved through publishing, my second book came out in 2001, Party of Twelve, The Afterlife Interviews. I had figured out enough about the publishing world to begin to understand what they do and don't do for you. There's a lot of mythology that novices have about publishing. And so I determined at that point that I was just going to be the publisher because there was no traditional publisher that would offer me as much as I could get by myself with my own company. So my new book, Guerrilla Publishing, How to Become a Published Author for Less Than $1,500 and Keep 100% of Your Profits, first of all, helps people finish their manuscripts. And I think that's one of the biggest things that writers have. And in your market, in our market, the metaphysical market, you know you have a book coming out. Um, A lot of people have work in them, but because they don't quite know what they'll do with it once it's done, it kind of even puts a crimp in the writing of it, the finishing of it. Well, why finish it? What am I going to do with it? So the first thing I wanted to do was help people just finish the manuscript. And then I go on to really demystify the whole world of publishing, which is in such a state of flux right now um, that it would be darn near impossible for somebody who didn't know to just look at the world of publishing and understand it. It's so complicated right now. 
So I walk you through what it would take if you tried to get signed with a traditional publisher. And then the rest of the book is the step-by-step instructions of how you can set up a system for yourself. It's very simple. It's very easy. And it gives you, well, you know, if you sign with a traditional publisher and you get, say, 6% royalties and your book costs, say, $15, you'll be entitled to $0.43 a book. The profit that I make on my books ranges anywhere from $4 to $10, depending upon how I'm selling it. So there's a lot of demystification of what goes on in publishing in this book. And I also go on to help people like you or anyone else coach you and help you get your manuscript, um, design the graphics needed, find the printer, administer the copyright, get an ISBN number. I, I help you put all the numbers in the right places so your book can be found internationally and get on the international portals. And once you're done, you own everything. You're the publisher. I'm not the publisher. I'm just helping you become the publisher. And in doing this, I have a client in Ohio, an 88-year-old woman who wanted to publish her memoirs. And she called me up, and she had gone to iUniverse, called them up, paid the money, um, and just didn't know where to begin. And I began to read the fine print of these online publishers that look so legitimate. And it was so frightening as I went one after another after another. And then I decided I went to a website where you put in your information and five of these online publishers will actually call you. Well, you know, they didn't know who they were calling. And I started to ask questions that I knew the answers to. And not only do they come off with a lot of language, you know, we have lists of people waiting to read your book. You know, they throw out the New York Times bestseller list. You know, they they include all this wonderful language. But, for example, if you pay one of these uh, uh, online publishers, say, a package of, they range anywhere from $500 to $5,000 to design your book. If you decide with iUniverse that you don't want to publish with them after it comes out, you're not happy with what they did. First of all, you do not get that graphic file that you paid for. That is their possession. And if you read the fine print, it says if you cancel your contract before 18 months is up, well, gosh, you owe them another $1,500 for what they call file fees. And you don't even get the graphic file. So there's so much about publishing. I just want to run through the street screaming before you sign with anybody. Call me or read the book or educate yourself. Read the fine print. And it's to a point where I just contacted 2020 and ABC News because this is such big fraud that I really want to take it so that people like my 88-year-old client aren't getting ripped off every day. Wow. I mean, I who would have thought and I suppose like with anything new that's really catching on like self-publishing is really hot right now. And a lot of people want to do it and they're all excited about it and there's no longer some sort of, you know, like attitude like that's really fringe. And so people are jumping in to fill in that gap of need and and they're unregulated, um, so I guess they can do whatever the heck they want at this point, can't they? So I'm glad you called. Well, they sure can. Yes, they sure can. And, and you know, for example, if you know anything about copyright, uh, copyright is a registration you do with the Library of Congress that registers your intellectual property. It goes into the Library of Congress. Um, the process is it's a $35 fee, and you fill out a one-page, two-sided form, and you send it to the Library of Congress, and you get a certificate back. And this way, your work is protected from being copied by other people. Well, um, Author House charges $250 to administer your copyright. 
So they're making a so, neat little profit on that, aren't they? Good grief. I just I'm I'm I when I wrote this book, the intention for me when I first wrote Gorilla Publishing was to get people to think about publishing working for them, not you working for publishing. So, for example, no publisher, traditional online, no publisher will promote you. It's the biggest fallacy in publishing that anybody has. The publishers will put you in a catalog when your book first book your book first comes out. But no one in the publishing company is going to call up all the bookstores and tell them specifically about your book. That onus is going to fall on the writer and and the author. Um, When I submitted in 1998 to traditional publishers, I was required to give them a business plan. How was I going to work for them to sell my book so I could make 43 cents a book? It's, It's really, really one of the the most misunderstood industries, and the industry itself has changed so much, and I don't even think they know what they're doing anymore. Wow. So where does the, where do you begin once you do have the manuscript finished? What what do you do? It sounds well, dismal. It, it is dismal. And, and the sad part is even the self-published, book, How to Be a Self-Publisher, you can certainly go and find some books that are going to help you understand, you know, how to get your book into a designed graphic form, how to choose a printer, etc. But even those books are preparing you to put yourself into the market of publishing. What I'm suggesting is we throw all that out the window Find out how to get your book printed. And once you have your book printed, then you're going to be able to turn around and sort of let it guide you as to where you can sell it. You can, um, as a self-publisher, get into the major bookstores if you like, but I always recommend to people that those um, storefront bookstores, there's so much competition and there's... For example, a friend of mine went into a major bookstore and tried to order a book, and they couldn't order it because it was out of print. And so she just gave up. You go on the Internet and you Google it. There's a marketplace with used books. You can find it pretty easily on the Internet. So storefront bookstores are not the front line of selling these days. So guerrilla publishing is all about how to make this work for your life, for for your um needs rather than trying to fit yourself into the box of publishing and think that's that's how you're going to get your information out. Wow. So um, there is hope, though, because you've written this book. There's light at the end of the tunnel, and even though this thing seems to be changing periodically how this industry functions, I mean, a lot of industries are changing the way they function. There is a way to do this, and you outline it in the book. Absolutely. My system is so simple. And I'll tell you what it is. Um, Once you get your book edited, and I I go through all the steps that you need to do, the team that you'll need to get, whether you, you 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 hire an editor or maybe your cousin's an editor or... You know, however you're going to edit your book, there's design work that needs to be done. There's an online printer, and there's a thing called print-on-demand right now, which is where they only print the books that sell. Um, I highly recommend a particular online printer called Lightning Source. They are the industry's highest, most reputable print-on-demand printer. They also do distribution, so... For $12 a year, you can have your book on Barnes & Noble um, Italy and Amazon.com Germany. And if somebody in Germany buys your book through that website, the order goes directly to Lightning Source. They print the book. They mail it to the customer. And at the end of the month, they put the money in your bank account while you sleep. Now, Wow. 
Yeah, it's really amazing. Now, remember, though, the onus falls to you to market and promote and sell. Yeah. But the system of delivery, once it's set up, it's done. Now you're free to be inspired to write as many books as you want because you know what you're going to do with them. You know how to get them published. You know how to get them in your hands. So do you have a book in the works for how to market your self-published book? Yes, I'm going to have a series. Um, The next one I'm going to do is about events because in my experience, and I travel the world, I sell books online um, and I sell books at, at events. Events are the highest profit margin that you can make because you buy the book at cost, cost of printing, um, my book costs approximately $2.88 to print. It sells for $15. And so, you know, the shipping, and then, of course, there's my travel time around to the events, but um, that is the best way to sell your books to begin with to make the biggest profit margin. Now, you also can make use of the Internet as far as drawing attention to your book. Um, I Right now, I am going all over to writers' blogs and writers' sites and the writers' sites on Facebook, and I'm warning people, before you publish, read the fine print. So I'm creating the next book to be about the marketing and the events um, and how to create a brand for yourself and how to create events for yourself, that's another part of marketing that um, I've done for a very long time. I, I, I began my career as a musician. I'm a composer and a performer, and for 25 years I was in rock and roll. And so I had to promote myself. I had to, you know, book my gigs at clubs and colleges. So I had a lot of experience with that. So I'm going to be sharing that knowledge as well. That's awesome. You know how desperately that's needed right now? I know. I am so, so grateful that you are spending your time doing this, Barbara, because well, it's going to change the world. If we can get, if those of us who had these experiences that need to be shared, a book inside of ourselves, you're making this possible is just the most incredible gift. Thank you so much. Well, it is my pleasure, and and I have a a partner that I work with sometimes, I offer people, you know, if someone comes to me with a manuscript, um, I can take your manuscript, I have a little package, it's fourteen ninety nine, <laughs> you know, a penny less than what I advertised in the book, although if you do this process yourself, you can probably get it, you know, piecemeal it, or, you know, part of Gorilla is about, and not Gorilla like the apes, but Gorilla like the the guys who fought in the jungle, yeah. is that you're 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 dealing with the resources that you have here and now. So maybe you have, you know, like I said, a cousin who's an editor, or you know, I show you what you need, and then inspire you to find creative ways and affordable ways um, to get it done. So I work with a, a, a partner of mine in editing, and we were we were talking the other day about how people are so used to being ripped off that they see my offer and they think, oh, well, she'll publish me. It's like, no. Well, where's the hidden cost? None. It's just I want people to have this system that works so well for me. And it's very exciting when um, I had a woman in uh, Wisconsin who took my workshop and she took the book and she just went step by step by step by step and she called me up and she said I did everything but I need help with the design work so she just contracted me to help do the cover and the insides, just basic design work. And she is on fire. And when you see people, when this 88-year-old woman in Ohio saw the cover for her book and saw her book, she wept. She just oh. wept after all the headache, and she lost $500 to iUniverse, who will not refund her money, even though she didn't publish a thing with them. It's so fulfilling to me. I love helping people make their dreams come true. That is so awesome, Barbara. What a great job you have right now, huh? I am the luckiest woman on the planet, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Lois, when is your book coming out? <laughs> well, I 
I'm I'm waiting to receive my copy of Guerrilla Publishing. And uh, I was talking with um, a friend who's an astrologer, and we looked at what would be the best time. And it looks like when transiting Jupiter is trying my natal Jupiter early spring is when I should release it. So as soon as I get your book, I'm going to just trot everything right through. Uh, I've already finished with part of the process. It's edited and um, the cover's designed, although I may need to re- I might want an image on the cover. Um, but, um, yeah, in the spring. I mean, I could get, I can get proof copies now, and I've, you know, given a few of those out and sold a few of those, but um, I'm going to move it over to the publishing source that you uh, recommended, and I may want to change the ISBN number after talking with you earlier. But um, I, uh, in the spring, because I want to release it at a time when the, the planets are lined up to really catapult it. Yeah. Well, and here's another little known fact about publishing, the publishing world, the traditional publishing world. They have all sorts of weird names for for the dates that the book comes out. You know, there's a date that's the pre-release, and then there's the date that's this, and there's the release date. And it's all just hocus-pocus as far as what it really, truly means. For me, when I have my book in my hand and my, and my, my... I sell it on my website, and then my, my printer, as I said, does this international distribution. It's done. It's out there. Now, what I do as far as, you know, the media push to promote it will probably be more like a release date. So, in other words, I'm going to be in Europe for most of November working, and when I get back in December, I'm going to be able to do a big promotional push and really start the ball rolling. But it's been rolling, really, since um, the end of August when I got my first books and started doing my workshops. So you do workshops on uh, guerrilla publishing as well? Yes, because there's so much information in this tiny little book. This book is just a little volume, but there's so much information, and it's it's really kind of difficult to grasp if you're a novice as far as the world of traditional publishing because it doesn't make sense. And there's things, for example, the ISBN number. The ISBN number is issued by an agency called Bowkers. And Bowkers started in 1879 as a venerable agency that was going to give every book what what I consider to be its social security number. So if you're a publisher and you go buy an ISBN number from Bowker's, you get assigned what is called a prefix. So you have your own series of whatever it is, eight or nine numbers, that's assigned to you as a publisher, and that prefix can never leave you as a publisher. And every book that you publish thereafter as that publisher will have that prefix, and then the last number or so will change to indicate the book. Now, Mm -hmm. once you as a publisher assign that ISBN number to a particular book and register it with Bowker's, it can never be moved, it can never be changed, it can never be transferred to another book. Even if that book goes out of print, that number goes out of print with it, but it's always assigned to that book. So if you go to an online publisher and they say, oh, yes, 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 we'll get you an ISBN, first of all, it's theirs. Second of all, once they assign it to your book, as you found out, if you want to go publish elsewhere, you have to get yourself a new ISBN number. So there's just so much information to tell people face-to-face and explain it so that when they leave the workshop, I just love this because people leave this workshop and their eyes are like, they're like so excited that now they know how to publish, now they have a reason to finish their book. And I do cover some things about writing, about how to motivate yourself to finish the book, little things you can do, you know, to really get yourself to the end of writing the book. Sometimes people will write for years and years. You have to pull the trigger somewhere and end it. Um, but they leave the workshop so inspired and excited and totally understanding that they can do this. And that's the greatest fulfillment that I think 
and you know, I have a lot of books about metaphysics. I, I channel Einstein. Um, he's brought forth a unified field theory and a map of human consciousness, and I train people on conflict revolution, which is a very revolutionary way of dealing with inner conflict, that once you resolve that, it leads to the natural manifestation of abundance outside yourself. All of that work is so fulfilling, but I am finding this new joy in finding people across all um, of culture, not just the metaphysical community, but across all culture. It's like I'm reaching now the mainstream of people and inspiring them. And wow, I'm a millionaire. You know, I'm the richest woman on the planet right now, I feel like. Yeah, there's there's nothing that will take the place of joy in your work. Nothing can take the place of that. Exactly. It sounds like you have that. So where's your next workshop? (laughs) Actually, my next workshop is in Oslo, Norway, in November. Um, uh-huh. I have, um, I'm a snowbird, so I, I summer in northern Wisconsin, and I come back to Corpus Christi in the winter. And I just got back, and there's so much work to do that I haven't even had a chance to begin to schedule some for the winter. But that's the next few weeks I'm going to be putting some things on the books. And I'd love to get to Houston and share this Um I certainly will travel all over the world, but um, I think there's enough interest even right here in Texas. I mean, Austin has some great bookstores, the book people and yeah, writers groups. Good and if, if anybody wants to bring me anywhere, just you know, shoot me a call or send me an email, and let's get a little group together and let's start. You know, everybody on their own way of publishing their books. So, if somebody wanted to do that, they should go to your website. To contact yes. you? Okay. Mm-hmm. That's BarbaraWith.com, right? Yes, with like the preposition. Yep, W-I-T-H, BarbaraWith.com. Yes. B-A-R, yes. So I want you to come to Houston. I, I'm i coming to Houston. <laughs> All righty then. And not, not just to fly to Europe uh, in a few weeks, but I would <laughs> love to come and and present this. People need oh, this. yeah, I really want you to. I think that's, I'm real excited about that idea. So right. when will you be back from uh, Norway? Uh, I come back from Europe on uh, the 30th of November. Uh-huh. And um, I get to actually go to, I have some events in Transylvania and Bucharest, Romania. Um, and then I uh, speak with the Paranormal Society in Oslo. And then there's a huge metaphysical expo biggest one in Scandinavia. They've invited me to speak, and then I have my own workshops, and I'm going to channel some Einstein on my own. So I've been to Norway several times. I think this is maybe my sixth visit to Norway, and I just I just adore it. I just love it. It's a great, great place. So I'll be back on the 30th, and um ready to just rock and roll. Well, we'll just have to talk after you get back about when you can come to Houston. Okay, I'm there. Okay. Great. So when did you realize in the beginning that you could channel? How did you realize that? You know, I always say that my channeling, I believe, began with music. Because I started writing music when I was about 12. And it was... I say that because when I started to write music, I would just close my eyes and I I always said I, I, I felt like the song was already written and I was just hearing little bits of it and bringing it through. And so when I was in high school, uh, the mother of a friend of mine did readings. She channeled. We didn't call it channeling back then. It was just readings. And I had readings with her for 10 years. And then in 1987, as I was writing a letter... I started to spontaneously automatic write. And so I knew what it was, so I wasn't, like, freaked out, but it was still really an awesome experience. And I asked a lot of questions, who are you? And they said, we are sound. And that was 
you know, kind of a mysterious answer, but I liked it because as a musician it made sense. Mm-hmm. So I did readings. I started doing readings. Probably the, the I did readings for a year where I just wrote. People would come come over and I would sit and write for them because speaking was kind of scary. It's like it really made it very real. But I eventually bit the bullet and just thought, well, I'm going to do this. And closed my eyes one day. I was at a party and I asked people if they wanted to, you know, try an experiment. And so I closed my eyes and got out of the way and just spoke. And when I was done, I opened up my eyes and several people were in tears and other people were just sort of, oh, my gosh. Who came through that first time? Well, when I was getting readings from Eunice in high school, she always explained it as she was just the tool that allowed my higher power to speak through her to my human mind. So there really wasn't anybody else in in my in my understanding of it at that time. Uh huh. So um, it may have just been your higher power speaking at that time. I think yes, or you know, because it was it was we. The, it was always referred to the we. So I took it as we, who it was ever in the room, our collective consciousness, maybe, was what I thought. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it really didn't start to be anything else than that until 1993 when I started to do groups on a regular basis with um, two other women um and they kept asking, who are you, who are you, who are you? <laughs> and finally they said, you can just call us angels. And I was kind of okay with that, but the most important part was that they were saying, it doesn't matter who we are, listen to what we're saying. Mm-hmm. And what they were saying was so revolutionary and remarkable to me that I really didn't care who they were because their information they were giving us, they said, step-by-step instructions for world peace, one person at a time, that was going to start within each individual. And they gave us a process, they said, for resolving conflict on this inner level um, that they wanted us to test amongst us. And so the three of us, you know, were just okay. And then, you know, in order to test the process to resolve conflict, you have to have conflict now, I think conflict is in <laughs> in abundance in most people's lives um, as a rule. Even though there's also joy and happiness, there's this other side of us that has been, you know, I think sometimes spiritual people think that if they're in conflict that they're not being spiritual. And this work has completely turned my head around to that the fact that actually addressing and resolving this conflict is the road to spiritual evolution. So mm-hmm. the angels gave us this process, and it really wasn't until about, well, after my first book came out and my co-authors and I um, parted ways, and I started to realize that I could speak with those who had passed on, and um, I had an opportunity to do an interview with Diana, Princess Diana, on the first anniversary of her death. Um, I was requested from my agent in New York, said she got a request from a tabloid in London wanting this interview, and so I'd never done anything like that. Hmm. So I thought, well, you know, all I can do is try, and I came away with not only this experience that I had been in the presence of Diana, but this beautiful interview and that was the beginning of really understanding that the angels were a little more than just that. And I went on to write the book Party of Twelve, the afterlife interviews from that Diana interview. I interviewed 12 more people in afterlife, and one of them was Einstein. And when I did that interview that was when the light went on because that voice was the voice of the angels. It was the voice from 1987. It was the voice that had been with me a really long time. And this process of learning that Einstein came 
through me for a very specific purpose was very slow, but through the course of my lifetime, it's now revealed it's out of the closet, and I wrote my tribute to him in 2005, which was the 100-year anniversary of E equals MC squared. And I thought, oh, I'll just do a few interviews with him and write a little book. Well, turns out it's the unified field theory, a map of human consciousness, uh, explains the creation of the physical world, and it's it's phenomenal, the, the path that I've been on with that work. I'm so honored. I'm just so honored. Wow. That's that's heavy stuff. <laughs> Unified field theory. I I I'm gonna I can't wait to get my hands on that book because that's how I got into metaphysics and spirituality consciously was reading uh, about quantum physics in 1979. I think was the year that Gary Zukav's book came out, Dancing Wooly Masters. Yeah, that it was reading that that made me realize, oh well, if that's true, then reincarnation's true, and if that's true, then blah, blah, blah. And it opened the whole world of metaphysics up for me, and I had prior to that thought that I was an atheist. So yes. I can't wait to read that book. Yes, and, and in, it, go ahead. Curiously enough, the way that I got to, or the, the way that I used to channel during those years when I was an atheist, or thought I was an atheist, was through painting. That's what my academic background's in, is in painting. And I used to, I thought I was contacting the collective unconscious. But I realize now that I was, and here's a new phrase, I love it, a trans-dimensional communicator. Ooh, I love that. I know, isn't it awesome? It's so much more descriptive than channel. To me, Yes. trans-dimensional communicator. Let's light that one on fire. Teach it to everybody. <laughs> it's just I love that phrase. Um, yeah. So yeah, me too. I was didn't know what channeling was. I never heard the word, but that's what I was doing because I had no idea what was going to wind up on the canvas or the paper. I just let it flow, and I knew it was coming from elsewhere. So, yeah, isn't that interesting? Well, and we all remember when Shirley MacLaine went out on a limb. Oh yeah, I love her for that so much. I just rewatched that movie. It, it was when it, it came out in 1986, and it was so cutting edge at the time. And now I just watch it and think, thank you <laughs> for yeah. being the one who do that because now this is very much a part of our world. Uh huh. Yeah, the book I think came out a few years before that, and everybody I knew was just devouring it. I know. I, it was so. Um, I, she's just really a, she was really a groundbreaker and very very brave and I I really feel gratitude and respect for her because of that. Um, so yeah. Uh, so you're, what are you now? What are you teaching in Norway besides well, the publishing? Um, I'm going to do um, some Einstein channeling. And um, this time I usually go and teach conflict revolution which is the process that we learned um, that engages these maps of the unified field and the human consciousness. And then the beautiful part about this Einsteinian material is that I, I spend the first part of the workshop presenting the maps of consciousness and um, the unified field theory. And by the way, Einstein says that the center of all life, the void, the source, God, what have you, is actually physically located in the center of the planet. And so the maps are all about the planet. And I present the scientific material, but the most profound for me is that then we take that and we take what he calls the three human dimensions and we use those in a practical, everyday process that completely revolutionizes your relationship to your world. So he really went from the macrocosm of showing us how the universe is created, and I I walked through step by step, one point at a time, from nothing to physical matter, and it brings it down to to the microcosm, which would be your individual life and how to use this broad, profound information in very, very 
basic, simple ways. So I'm going to be teaching some conflict revolution over there. And then when I go to Romania, I'm doing a workshop, um, two-day workshop that I'm calling uh, the Genesis Project because I think we're all aware of the past several years that everything is changing. Financial systems, you know, personal lives have all been upheaved. And this isn't about recovering the old system. It's about building a completely new operating system for yourself, for your life, from the ground up. And it's all new. The rules are no longer like it used to be. Whether you're talking about, you know, the bit, one of the biggest concerns, of course, is, is money and finances. Um, another concern is about your health, physical health. People have been suffering so and then, of course, relationships. Everything is all different. So I'm going to teach people how to build this new operating system based on the Einsteinian process. And what's most exciting for me is that I've been through the process and I've lost everything. And I've been rebuilding my own system from the ground up. And I'm telling you what, I have never been so joyful in my whole life. And it's not because I have a lot of money. I don't have a significant other relationship. I'm healthy as a horse, I'll tell you that. But um, it's just because of my relationship to myself, my inner world, my three human dimensions are in alignment, and every day is a present moment miracle. Even when I'm in, in, a, in a big storm or in a big conflict, I don't lose that perspective. And so I'm so excited about sharing that with other people. Uh, as well. Yeah, I think you need to do that when you come to Houston, too. <laughs> <laughs> I will do whatever people need. <laughs> I'm All righty, then. <laughs> All right. Well, um, what else would you like to tell us about? We've got about 20 more minutes. Well, um, if I can, if I can, um I'd like to leave your listeners, I'd like to give your listeners just some real practical tips about this new operating system. Okay. And um, the thing that I really, when people say, well, you know, what it, you know, give it to me so I understand it. What Einstein has said and what I found to be true is that he, he calls this, these three human dimensions. This is where we have control of our domain. So the first dimension is emotion. And in conflict revolution, we have very, very specific definitions for each component. Each definition of the component is quantifiable. So, for example, emotion. You know, we all have ideas of what that means. There's good emotions, there's bad emotions. You know, somebody causes me to feel bad, whatever. In in this worldview, emotion is redefined as the fuel of the manifestation of the physical world. So everything that we're experiencing in the physical world, the the dresser, the table, the chair, the trees, which all originate within us, have at their root emotion. And when you see the maps and and explains the sequential sequence of, of creation where emotion is the first step out of the source, it's kind of the primordial soup. So at that level, you know, you and me and the chair and the trees are all kind of mixed up in these particles on a quantum level. And as it moves up the wave... Um, as you know, if you're into quantum physics, you know, it becomes less like a wave and more like particle. So as the wave is flowing from the center of the planet to the surface of the planet, creating the physical world in this, this lens that we're experiencing with our physical bodies, emotion is the fuel for all of creation. And I think this is the biggest mythbuster that Einstein comes out with, because even... For example, David Hawking claims there's good emotion and bad emotion. That, you know, anger and negativity and, you know, uh, depression are bad emotions you want to kind of steer clear of. 
but in in our Einsteinian world, every single emotion is a part of the manifestation of the world, and how as the as the wave is flowing up from the center of the planet and the emotion, and then it, the next stage is the intuition, and this is the voice of emotion, and emotion is really the expression of um, of the life force, which he calls compassion, which was actually another revolutionary thing from this book that Einstein gives us a scientific, quantifiable definition of compassion. Not just love, not just empathy, but an actual, that it's the fifth fundamental force, and he explains it in a scientific way, and it's just brilliant. I'm, uh, I still, to this day, get chills over that. But as this wave is moving far up towards the surface of the planet, the second human dimension is born of intuition, which is the voice of God within us, impelling us to take the next step into the creation of the physical world. And the third human dimension is the intellect. And this is where the descriptions and the analysis of our world take place. So these three dimensions work sequentially to then flow up through our physical bodies. Our bodies are the perceptors of the world around us. Without our physical body, we don't have a perception of the physical world. And this wave is then projected through us out into the world, and everything separates as per the mathematics that are, you know, the chair has a certain mathematics, where it is, how big it is, what color it is, what time it's in, etc., and so the physical world is created with this separation. And the basic revolutionary idea is that it's not the negative emotion that's a bad thing. And, you know, the secret, this was my biggest beef about that, is that, you know, you're not supposed to be sad or angry. What Einstein says is that emotion, the fuel of creation that weds itself to a description in the intellect is what creates the limitation. So if you have anger coming up and it's marrying itself to the thought that it's about somebody else or that you're no good, that's what creates the limited lack and the um, inability to manifest. So what we learn in conflict revolution is how to move all emotion through our physical bodies without having it marry to those degenerative thoughts. And in fact, I'm to this place where I'm practicing this, because um, anger is my thing. I just, mm-hmm. you know, I ha- I have, I've had anger issues all my life. And so now I have a way to fully breathe that anger through me, but I'm marrying it to regenerative thoughts. And it's so... This is why I call it the new operating system, because we're so trained to think that, you know, you have anger, you have to stop it, or it, it's Get rid red. Of it. Yeah. So give me but an example of it, how, you, how you might take anger and marry it to um, something you want. Um, I've got a great example. I had neighbors who played their music 24 hours a day. Mm. And I was so mad. And so one day I just went, okay, I'm going to do this. And I sat down. uh, I lied down in bed and got into my meditation space, and I let that music trigger that anger. And as I used my breath work to pull that energy of the anger up into my body, I purposely began to think. My, My sound bite that I used was, I'm going to take Einstein to the top of the world which to me represented that I was going to succeed so much in bringing this information around the world. I was going to create a life for myself where I could live in a place where I didn't have to be concerned about anybody around me having noise like that. I mean, that was kind of what my thinking process was. But as I would feel that anger and breathe it through, I wasn't thinking about them or, you know, how bad they were being to me or how unfair. I just thought... I am going to be so successful. And and I began to um, really breathe and, and focus on those things. And I noticed after about 20 minutes, 
I could hear the music, but it wasn't triggering me anymore. And then quite a bit later, probably later in the day, um, it stopped. And then a few days later, my neighbor came or ran into my neighbor and, and they said, well, the roommate that was playing the music is gone you know, he's gone for good now. So, and it stopped and it's never been a problem again. Wow. And so I also double edged thing, huh? Well, part of, part of the idea is that if we resolve these conflicts inside us with these three human dimensions, it opens up the flow of manifestation. We kind of get out of the way and I guarantee Anybody who does this process of conflict revolution thoroughly like this, I guarantee you, you will manifest outcomes that you could never um, achieve any other way. I have one conflict um, that I won't go into in depth, but it was about I I managed some properties and um, my boss had hired some cleaning help that wasn't working out and I kept trying and trying and trying to get this changed and my sh- I had a bad rotator cuff and a lower back and I couldn't clean and every time they didn't clean I'd have to go clean and and when I finally man- did the revolution and I I did the process and I took care of it that way and I asked my intuition, you know, what do I need to do and I did it 5 minutes later Literally, a woman walked in the office and said, I hear you need cleaning help, and it was never a problem again. Wow. So you can use the so-called negative feelings to manifest something that you want, and and then afterwards the thing that was getting you upset also resolves. That's what I mean about a two-edged sword. It's doing yes. two things at once. Yes, it's a twofer. I like that. A threefer, actually. Cause then Three? When you when you see the maps, the the whole point is now you're also contributing to world peace. Oh, because the anger's gone. Yes, and you you have this gravitational wave from the for, that starts in the center of the planet. It comes up and it moves through the physical lens, but then it goes out into the heavens and it gets caught up with the Earth's electromagnetic wave and it goes back up through the North Pole and back into the center of the planet. So you have a slice of the pie, quite literally, and when you take care of your piece, you affect the whole planet. Oh, because then it rotates back down into the core of the Earth. Yes, and you've brought peace to your part of the planet, and it's really it's really a remarkable map to see how these everyday resolutions of these inner conflicts and letting our emotions flow um, actually help to contribute to world peace as well. That is awesome. I love that. And I was hoping that's what you meant about using the emotion. It doesn't matter what the emotion is. Yes. You can use it for a positive purpose. So that's why yeah, those emotions I... were created, so we could use them. Yeah. And I think most people just don't think in terms of separating emotion from thought. Reassigning the emotion to a new thought. Yeah. No one knows that's an option. Now, yeah. I did I did know you have an option not to react the way you're reacting. You can choose again. I, you know, I learned that many years ago. But to go ahead and take the emotion and run with it. Yeah. And use it so. as... As a f- energy source, woohoo! I like that a lot. Imagine if every every one of us who are in this mind frame decided that we were going to channel our anger and our depression and our sadness and our sorrow through our bodies fully as we married them to thoughts of world peace and whatever. Yeah. Oh. Per, or personal success or healing of the yeah. family or whatever. Yeah. This is yeah, a message. What do you want that, to create? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And then you don't have to be mad at the person who made you mad anymore. You can be grateful that they gave you some fuel. Absolutely. And, you know, people are our mirrors. 
And oh, yeah, that too. The rule of thumb in the Einsteining world is that if you're emotionally triggered by someone, then it's it's the mirror. Yeah. So what I do now is, in fact, I was driving down from Wisconsin and I was having a conflict with someone. Um, I create this intellectual sound bite that sort of sums up what I'm pissed at him for. And one of the sound bites was she was being vindictive. And that was making me mad. So as I breathed my anger, and I, I allowed myself to go off on her in the car, and then I listened, and I thought, okay, I need to be very much aware where I'm being vindictive. Mm-hmm. Ooh, doesn't that put a whole other spin on it? Well, it kind of stops I, you in your trap. Yeah, yeah. And that's why... That's why it's so important to take a look at your significant other because as soon as you handle whatever it is in them that bugs you, they're not doing it anymore. Exactly. And it and yeah. I think it's also why in this new operating system, the new relationships that we create are going to be so much different. You're no longer... There's no. We're not going to sit down at the table and talk through our issues, and you're going to have to, you know, be responsible for what you did to me. You know, we're yeah. going to come back to the table, and I'm going to say, Lois, you pissed me off yesterday, and here's what I found out: that I've been shortchanging myself over here because of what I learned in your mirror. Yep. And my closest relationships, and I get to choose, of course, who's close to me are people who work this process, and I can tell you those relationships, I, I, I never would have dreamt I could have such high-quality, easy, maintenance-free <laughs> relationships with people who took care of their stuff as much as I do with mine, and it's it's allowing us all to soar. That is so awesome. We have got three minutes left. Two, I take that back, two. Is there any <laughs> last thing you want to say? Well, I was, I'm just so glad. Thank you so much for allowing me this platform. And I just hope if any of your listeners, you know, want to find out more, that they'll contact me or go to the website. Or um, and especially those people, you people out there who are thinking about publishing, before you do anything, come and see me or read the book or send me an email. I'd be happy to help. Excellent. Thank you so much for being here. It's been so much fun talking to you. Thank you, Lois. Uh, right, right back at you. Thanks. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. I don't know. 